You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders podcast as we look ahead to the Seahawks playoff matchup against the Atlanta Falcons. We just keep rolling right along. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And John, we do just keep on rolling because the Seahawks keep winning. They do. It's kind of a fun, consistent theme around here. Of, you know, This is five straight years of playing at least this late into the season. That's never a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. And it gives us a little bit of history and perspective as to how they've been able to do it, why it's so cool, and how different this team is maybe from some of the other teams that we've seen from the Seahawks. Because every team has its own unique identity. It does. And it, this one has maybe been the hardest to figure out. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, for it's, I feel like it's been about three weeks now where you talk to coaches and sort of the word, the word of the week. And now it's almost been a month is consistency. Cause they've, this team has looked great at times. They've looked not so great at times. And I think the most encouraging thing we saw last week is they look like the Seahawks. They yeah. played some great defense. They ran the, it's, it's the formula that under Pete Carroll, they've won a heck of a lot of games playing and hasn't always been there this year. And the fact that, you know, the time of year you need it most, they kind of found that, that's really encouraging to me. And it wasn't just the stats and, of course, the win and, and all of that good stuff, but it also felt like the Seahawks. It felt like that on the sidelines during the game. It felt like the Seahawks in the locker room after the game. At times, there's been a bit of an edge, and I can understand why, and it goes back to the inconsistencies and not knowing quite how to figure it out or what's wrong, but – everything just felt right about the way that game played out. It did. And you mentioned the, the, you know, I wasn't on the sideline like you were, but the locker room too, it just felt different in there. I I, kind of get a sense. I don't want to say it's relief, but I think there was an excitement in that group that they maybe found something. I I would think so. And so this is where I would like to start our bigger picture conversation today. We're going to get into the matchup against Atlanta, of course, a team that the Seahawks have already played, but that was way back in week six. There's a lot of differences between, you know, this Seahawks team currently where they were earlier in the year, and quite honestly, the same thing for Atlanta. Both teams are going to be pretty healthy going into it, but let's take a step back. And what were your big takeaways from that win against Detroit? Uh, Well, I mean, the run game is, to me, the first one and the most important as we were just discussing just what that can mean going forward. And within that run game, Thomas Rawls looked good, and that's I think that's really good. But I think the most significant thing is what we saw from the line because that group kind of been the, the much maligned position group this year, sometimes fairly, a lot of times probably unfairly. What they did in that game and to do it not just – we've seen them have some really good halves, things like that, but they did it for almost the entire game. That, to me – is really encouraging and that's you know easily the most important thing I saw in that game and I would say it's encouraging because they are truly doing what they have done all year long and I know that a lot has been made of oh they changed everything up front no it looked a little different because it was a lot better (laughs) it was a lot better but also because they went from playing a wide zone on that offensive line and then on occasion they would move to a tight zone it is still a zone read but the target is different for the offensive lineman when you are running in a tight zone it looks like you're going straight downhill 
or almost like you're going straight downhill. And I had to have somebody explain this to me this week because for all the talk around of how much they might have done just a complete 180 and scrapped it all, no, this is what they have been trying to do, and they are finding that consistency. The results look completely different, and it wasn't just the yards on the ground. How about Rawls in the yards after contact because he was able to get to the second level yeah. and make that decision and make that cut. Yeah, and I mean, Rawls, you know, the, the line is rightly going to be a big part of this conversation this week, but Rawls also was better. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's been a weird year for him, you know, with the injuries, and that's a position where it's really hard to just jump right in and be your best. It, it's kind of one of those positions for at least a lot of those guys. Some backs are different, but a lot of those guys, it's a feel thing, and you need to kind of get in that rhythm and get a lot of carries and whether it's been because he's banged up or they were kind of trying to rest guys in that San Francisco game. He hasn't had a ton of games this year where he's gotten those 20-plus carries. And we saw in that game when he got carry after carry and got going, he, he looked like last year's Thomas Rawls. And it, it opens up a lot of different things and a lot of different options for the play callers on offense in the run game or when you've got a guy like Marcel Reese. I know you've spent a lot of time asking the question about versatility this week. Yeah. And if the Seahawks do get C.J. Procise back, who has been inserted back into practice, you can call so many different things, and the defense has to respect kind of all of them. Yeah. it's. I mean, C.J. Procise is that way, and Marcel Reese for sure. When you have backs that can split out and be a credible threat as a receiver, and then you have tight ends who can move around, be an inline blocker, or move outside, it's, it's really hard to defend because, you know, if they present a heavy look and you put a big, you know, bunch of linebackers and a heavy package on, then all of a sudden they split guys out. Now you've got linebacker. We saw that. There's a third down. Jimmy Graham got covered in the slot and picked up a third down conversion. He was covered by a linebacker because they presented a look with two tight ends and two backs where you think, okay, we got maybe it was even three tight ends. It was a I very, think it was three tight ends. I don't think they had a receiver on, on the field uh-uh. on that play. So and they all spread yeah, them out. And, they're, on and that? all of a yeah. sudden you're you're spread out wide with linebackers on Jimmy Graham and you'll take that matchup all day. So I mean we see you always talk about New England when they've been good with their two tight ends, whether it's Gronk and Bennett or whoever. It's really hard to defend a team with that versatility where it, you don't know how to match up personnel-wise. And about the time you start thinking that they're settling back into the run, 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 because on one of those scoring drives, it was almost all runs. Yeah, nine straight runs. And then they'll just dink it in and throw it downfield on you. Well, that's – I mean, that's the beauty of – when this offense has been at its best, you run the ball well, and that opens up that explosive passing game that they love here. I mean, they like to take their shots, and – it, the play action works so much better when teams have to respect the run game. We saw, you know, Doug Baldwin, that 42-yarder where he beats a man and gets open. It's just it, – it's there's so many different – whether it's, you know, time of possession, keeping your defense off the field. There's a million things we could talk about that this team is so much better if they can run the ball like that. Well, and how about if we go to that time of possession stat? Because the Seahawks dominated that one, which meant that the defense was only on the field for – one series during the third quarter, it means that they're pretty fresh going in against the top-rated offense, or at least scoring offense, in the NFL this week. So you like kind of how that all set up. But defensively, what did you see from the Seahawks that kept Detroit to just two field goals? I mean, just a lot of solid things across the board. I mean, maybe one of the underrated elements of this defense this year has been the way they've played against the run, and I think that's because if you just look at, at the raw numbers for the season, they gave up a decent number of rushing yards. Just Teams kind of ran the ball on them a lot this year. So, you, yet they were 3.4 yards a carry, which is the lowest total in the league. So, 
Detroit didn't, you know, they weren't going to come in and try to pound the ball, but they at least wanted to make you respect the run a little bit. And other than one 17-yard gain, they kept everything bottled up, which, you know, you get that, you get the third and longs, and then all of a sudden you're getting off the field quickly. And let's face it, that wasn't Matt Stafford his best. He missed some throws. His receivers didn't help him. So that part kind of went in the Seahawks' favor. But I just, I thought that was a really good team effort of just kind of everybody being on point. And, I mean, they never got past the 33-yard line. That was a that was a very dominant effort. Yeah, and they're going to need um, to repeat that effort again this week because, because when you talk about the running game, of course you knew that Detroit was struggling and, and they just placed their top rusher on injured reserve the week before. That is not the case with Atlanta. So we kind of turn the conversation ahead. In fact, both teams are going to be about as healthy as they've been all things considered, both teams have placed players on injured reserve. But for the guys who are active and available, they are healthy, which means Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, two of the best running backs in the league. And when you talk about yards per carry and times that they've carried the ball, the Seahawks did a great job that first time around because each were averaging over four yards a carry during the regular season. But the Seahawks didn't let them get close to that when they played at CenturyLink. In fact, I think uh, Freeman had 40 yards. Coleman had 10 yards in that game. Well, and that's a big factor why I mean, that, that game ended up being close because the Seahawks had some of those breakdowns and just kind of had that awful third quarter. But other than that, the Seahawks defense really controlled that game, and I, that's a big factor why. These Falcons are really good because of their balance, and they're really good. Pete Carroll talked about this the other day. They're a really good first down team, and when you're good on first down, that means you're not playing third and long, playing behind the sticks, and that's where you keep drives going. You march down the field and score. If the Seahawks are stopping the run, that's when you make them one-dimensional. You make Matt Ryan throw in obvious situations. That's how you know that four sacks last game. That's how you get your pass rush heated up. I mean, it's so much is going to go into that. But if you can just keep those guys in check, keep them from getting those big, you know, six, eight-yard gains on first down and second down and put them in third and long. That's how this defense is going to do well. National narrative is that the Falcons are favored, and rightly so when you have a higher seed. They have been installed by Vegas as the favorites in this one, and I I think you can look at specific statistics as to why. And here's my big question to you. Why is there optimism for the Seahawks And how does this locker room respond or just feel different when they are considered the underdogs? I think they like it. I mean, we've seen this group always be, you know, not every player is this way, but a lot of these guys are kind of the chip on their shoulder, whether it was draft status or whatever reason that they kind of feel disrespected. And then early in this kind of rise to being a good team, they, you know, they had to kind of prove themselves and they've, they've done that. They've shown to be one of the best teams in the NFL, but if they can find a way to kind of manufacture that chip on the shoulder, find some disrespect, if it's people picking against them saying the Seahawks are down this year and can't go on their own win, that's that's a great thing for them. And, you know, in terms of what they have going for them going to this game, I, I think one of the biggest things is experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about this locker – it occurred to me as we were talking to Cam Chancellor today, he's played – this will be his 14th playoff game. And, I mean, that's the extreme for this team. But most of these guys who are here 12 and later, the Russell Wilsons, the Bobby Wagners, K.J. Wright, Richard Sherman, all those guys, I mean, all they know in their career is playing at least into the divisional round of the postseason. And as much as every team, and this team is one of them, wants to talk about it's the same, every game's the same, it's a lot harder to actually play that way if you've never been there. And these guys have experienced it. They've experienced going out not quite ready for the moment and getting beat. 
in Atlanta. The as last a matter time of fact. that we played in Atlanta. And now with all this experience these guys have, I think it's going to maybe help them come out and play a little more relaxed or loose or whatever. And that, that can make a big difference. You know, and it was interesting listening to Cam talk about just the journey of this team and the journey of how they have struggled and when they've struggled and the fluky things that have happened. And basically what every single one of them says is, you don't think back to that necessarily. It, this is not about reliving the past. It's not about revenge. It's not about avenging the loss in Atlanta. It's about having that mental Rolodex and file of situational football where when the situation presents itself, you go, oh, I've seen this before. Exactly. I, don't need, I don't need to think about where I saw this before. Just I've seen it before. I know how to handle it. I know how to respond to it. And I think that is one of the biggest edges that the Seahawks have. I can't imagine a situation that they have not seen in the playoffs. And we've seen ridiculous extremes. Yeah. And it, one of those extremes is this team's been behind a lot on the road in the postseason, which is not ideal. And, you know, let's hope they don't go do that this game. But if they do, let, let's say Matt Ryan marches down the field or the Seahawks have a turnover, whatever. If, if they face that adversity, they know that, you know, in these games they've come back in one and some games they come back and not quite one. They know they're in it. Like th- this team is not gonna fall down fourteen nothing, even twenty nothing, and feel like, oh, we we're out of this game. Let's pack it up and go home. And that's that's really valuable in, in a situation where you know weird things can happen in the postseason. Well, and I think getting ahead is probably a pretty that big key in this game. Not only would it make us feel just a little bit less queasy while watching this game from the press box or the sideline, but the Seahawks are thirty three and zero in the Russell. Uh, Russell Wilson era when leading by seven or more points at halftime. That has not happened during these playoff losses that they have suffered. And so you do again see that's a remarkable stat, number one. Number two, if you give them the lead, they'll hold on to it. Yeah, and that's where the defense this team has had over the years really factors in. It's really hard to come back against them because it's it's a good defense, period. But it's a really good defense when they know what you have to do. Well, and that's kind of the other thing, too, right? Here's why I like this matchup. I actually like that it's on the road. And K.J. Wright pointed this out to me this week. You know, when you know that Matt Ryan trusts his arm and can throw the ball, you expect Julio Jones and and these receivers to get the ball. It's important that you don't start seeing ghosts and that you actually are reading the play. And as Cam Chancellor said today, you keep your eyes, you play the blur of the ball. You keep your eyes on the man. And then as that ball's coming into your periphery, that's when you go to play, right? Mm -hmm. It helps that this defense has played together for so long that they're all instinctively doing the same thing. And what KJ said is, and we'll actually be able to talk to each other and make those adjustments because you don't have to deal with crowd noise when you're on the road playing defense. Yeah, and we've heard defensive players say that. I remember when they got on that crazy run in the 2014 season, just so dominant down the stretch. And, And then last year, they were a really good team and really good on the road late in the season. And some guys have said that. Obviously, they love playing at home. Everyone loves to be at home. But there is one element of advantage when, especially those guys in the back seven, can actually talk to each other. The good thing is, having Cam Chancellor, they didn't have him in the last game against against the Falcons. He's so important to that communication in the back end. You obviously wish you had Earl Thomas as well. But from a communication standpoint, Cam is so key to what they do. And we saw it. Two big breakdowns lead to touchdowns, and you know maybe maybe those still have him on the field. I'm guessing they don't. I'm 
pretty darn sure they don't both happen. So, you know, <laughs> if, if having him in there and getting that communication, that, that should certainly help. Yeah, of course, it'll be Stephen Terrell back there instead of Earl Thomas. Stephen says he's watched that game already, you know, three or four times mm-hmm. because it was one of Earl's best games. And while Stephen knows he can't do everything that Earl was doing, there's a lot of good things schematically that he can take out of that exactly. and kind of get a good game plan on how to adjust. Yeah, I mean, and it, I, I feel a lot, or I do feel a lot better with Stephen Terrell going into the situation having already started a bunch of games than if it were a, a scenario where Earl Thomas got hurt last week and right. you're throwing a brand new starter in against the highest scoring offense in the league. Then you might say, "Oh, geez, this guy could be in over his head," but he's been in there a while. He's getting comfortable, and you know, and he, he's faced quarterbacks with strong arms, good arms, funky arm slots, keeping yeah, a play alive. Exactly. He, I mean, yeah, he's, he's been seen tested, a pretty good variety. Yeah. Yeah, the Aaron Rodgers guy is pretty good. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I've heard. Um, also, something to keep an eye out when you mentioned Cam Chancellor not playing in week six. Um, it's the first time that he's going to be on the field with Keanu Neal. Now, I understand that Keanu Neal plays defense for Atlanta, but he's also the protege of Cam Chancellor, and here's what Cam said. That boy's never actually seen me hit. (laughs) We train together in the offseason, which is basically a whole bunch of motion, you know, and it's mimicking its strength. And he goes, oh, he knows that I'm smart and he can pick my brain, but he's never seen me hit. And Mm. I'm going to make sure he sees me (laughs) hit on Sunday to know he's still got a little ways to go before he takes my title. Showing little brother, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Who's boss. Yeah, that's a cool story, though, that, you know, for people who haven't heard it, it came up last time they played, too, but. You know, there's been a couple times Jim Buchanan, former Wazoo guy with the Cardinals, is another one where Cam Chancellor, you know, guys coming out of college and people compare him to Cam Chancellor, that big physical safety type. And he's just kind of cold called the guy, reached out out of the blue and said, hey, you know, let's let's talk, let's meet up, let's train. And, you know, in the case of Keanu Neal, they are from the same kind of corner of the country and they got together and trained in Virginia this off season. And Keanu Neal talked about it before they played last game. He was, he was so surprised. He kind of thought it was a prank at first is, you know, who's this guy calling me saying he's Cam Chancellor. But yeah, I mean, he just kind of feels like this responsibility is a guy who's made a lot out of his career and been sort of that he's become sort of the prototype in the modern NFL for the big physical safety. So if, if there's somebody who looks up to him, he's going to reach out and help him. Which is amazing. And one of the reasons he does it is because he was told so often, you can't. Yeah, exactly. You're not, you're not going to be a safety. You're Give a linebacker. Up the dream. Yeah, you're a linebacker. And he said, no, my college coach told me, don't let anybody change your mind. You are a safety. And he feels the sense of responsibility to encourage others who kind of look the same. It's so, worked out pretty well for him. It, it has worked out pretty well. And Pete Carroll even noticed, noted that that's a really cool legacy that he's already got, you know? Yeah. Um, so Cam Chancellor is back this game. Frank Clark is back this game. Remember, he didn't play in that yep. Week 6 matchup. Michael Bennett was hurt in the Week 6 matchup, so they played the entire fourth quarter without him. You had uh, C.J. Procise, Thomas Rawls, also missed that Week 6 game. And Russell Wilson was basically a shell of himself, fresh off of those injuries. I think all of this... Makes me feel pretty good about Saturday. Sure. Yeah. Why do I, we both say that with question marks? <laughs> you're still going on the road to face a really darn good team. I mean, I'd say you feel as good as you can in this situation. And, I, you know, I, it, for all the ups and downs this team has had, when I just look at who's on that roster still and, and the way they've played at times, including last week, when they're right, I still think they're as good as anybody in the NFL. But I also want to give a lot of credit to what the Falcons have done Absolutely. this year. And when you got to go there and play – it's going to be tough no matter how well the Seahawks play. Yes, yes. But since I am the silver linings kind of gal, 
I prefer to look at all of the ways that we might uh, match up well and that we go. might be previewing another playoff Let's game so. next Let's do week, it. which would be awfully fun. Until then, make sure that you tune in and listen to the game via the Seahawks radio network. John Boyle will have you up to date on everything going on on Seahawks.com. And I think either way, regardless of the outcome, we will be back with you next week for another edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. <laughs>